0: Take your Bibles if you want to and turn to another passage tonight. And I'm going to probably not have you stand this evening because my introduction will be longer. But take your Bibles from the 1 Samuel chapter 15 and we will be there in a few moments. Several weeks ago we began a short series on Sunday evenings on taking responsibility. And of course this subject came about as a result of a staff meeting where we were just talking about the things we need to cover. We have some pretty heavy uh, things we're covering in the book of Revelation. Wednesday nights, we're in another pretty in-depth study, the Minor Prophets, and so we want to give some coaching time. And when I say that, what what I'm I'm implying when I'm using that term is I I want to have a more casual time as a church family to discuss um, things that we want to uh, describe the fabric of our church culture. Um, you know, that, the little caveat before. It's important to me that when people come in for the first time, I have visited churches before, and you, you go there, and all you see is the people on the platform singing, and everyone else is just kind of going through the motions. And that's probably the kind, of, the kind of music they sing, really can't be sung as a group. And it, it just really leaves you nonplussed. And so I want singing to be vibrant here. If we're going to sing a more conservative style of music, and I want us to do that, then we need to sing that style of music with life and vibrancy, and you know, with some conviction like we mean it. And, and, I, and I appreciate the way we do. I'm, I'm really preaching to the choir. I, I, I wouldn't, I'm not upset about that. I just feel strongly that we need to do that. And there are other areas of church life that I feel like that sets Eastland apart. At least I want, I want it to set Eastland apart. I want our generosity. I want our thoughtfulness. I want our friendliness. And, and, and to the text tonight, I want us to, as a church family, corporately to take personal responsibility for the welfare of the church. I want you, uh, along with me and the staff, to make sure that this place uh, finds future success. Um, and by success, I mean that as in measured in God's eyes, not by any metric that we might pose, but rather I want God to look at this place and say, they're trying, they're, they're properly reaping what they're sowing. And, and so the, the idea of taking responsibility um, is probably devotional, but it's something that I think is important. If we see a piece of trash on the floor, it's your job to pick it up. If there's a guest that needs directing, you need to direct them. I know we have people who are responsible for these things, but it doesn't set us aside from being involved in owning this place um, the way you would your own home and your own things. If you don't treat those things as good stewardship, well, you should. And so that's the idea tonight. And so I wanna to get to this thought of taking responsibility. And the title of the message tonight is simply closing the gap. Let me say this, since I'm in a coaching mentality, I'm, I'm gonna say some things that the world would say might not be nice. They're kind of direct. I, I have no, I don't, I, I don't intend it to be taken as rude or unkind, um, but rather as a principle from God's Word that I think that our culture is a little bit lacking that we, we need to work on. It's been said that there are two kinds of people in life, um, the haves and the have-nots. And, and we may have heard that, two kinds of people. The haves and the have-nots. Or maybe we'd say it this way, you know, the winners and the losers. And now that's broadly spoken, but that is a sense we've heard before. There are always people, if we use those two broad categories, there are people who always feel that they are in the wrong group and that they deserve and feel powerless to change the group they're in. Now, no one really wants to go from the have to the have-nots. But often the quote-unquote have-nots and the people who don't seem to be winning often feel imprisoned and they feel trapped. They feel powerless to make any change and to move to the quote-unquote other group. Now that sentiment um, is, of course, too broadly stated. It's certainly, It's not even necessarily biblical, but it is a sentiment. The greater reality is this for most of us. Most of us have successes in some area of our lives. And there's other areas of our lives where we experience a measure of defeat. Or I might say it this way, there's a gap between where we are and maybe where we want to be. Um, Here's where I'm at and I feel like I need to have a closer relationship with God. I'm here and I wish my relationship with my family was different. I'm here and I wish I had more time to do this or that or to be or or whatever else. And most of us succeed in fair uh, areas of life and there's other areas where we're not getting the results that we want to have. And that might be in finances, relationship, with jobs, maybe battling to sin or whatever else. But I think a better way of looking at the gap in our lives is not to assign ourselves winners or losers, or the haves and haves not, but rather, and this would be true in different areas of our lives, that we are either people who take personal responsibility for our lives. Or we are people who are not. We are people who are going to play our own personal role in closing the gaps in our life. Or we are going to excuse, blame, shift, or do something else rather to address the the chasm between where we are and not just where we want to be, but more importantly, maybe where God wants us to be. And so, the intent of our brief time here tonight is to suggest that we all can close some of the perceived gaps of where we are and where we want to be by taking and owning more personal responsibility for those places in our life. And can someone say amen to that? We have, we have places where we, we need to grow, some places that we need to be better at. So, some things, you know, I can say for a church family, I would like to see us improve on. And I, I can wring my hands, I can say, woe is me, I can look at you, you can look at me. Or every one of us together can take some personal responsibility for any distance between us and where we want to be and have a role in playing in closing the gap ourselves, taking responsibility. But unfortunately, fighting against this required mentality, this ownership of self-responsibility, is a culture that either, number one, is always blaming others for where we are at. And and, and this is the world that we live in contemporarily. Turn on on the news, watch the media, and all we're going to see is one group of people blaming another group of people for their lot in life. Or one individual blaming another individual for, for, the, for their uh, whatever else. We blame others as a way of life, or maybe even more frequently, we make excuses for the lot we're in and why we can't see change. Now, people, and all of us do this, tend to blame our misfortunes and our misery on circumstances, um, events, And other people. And and granted, there are some things that maybe befall us that are outside our control. But what we should be doing in greater degree is taking a greater responsibility for whatever befalls us to put ourselves in an improved and better situation despite the circumstance. So pervasive is this tendency that we have institutionalized it. We have, we, have, we have court cases about this kind of stuff. We have legislation. We've introduced it into our psychology and our medical treatments. We allow people to engage in poor behavior, and we tell them, oh, bless your heart, it's not your fault. Instead of asking people to work, we just give them subsidies. And we just say, well, you know, you've had some inequities in life, so here you go. Life's been unfair to you, so we'll try to make it more fair by not making you do what's required, and we'll do that for you. Um, This was something I was reading the other day. We provide birth control to everyone who wants it for free um, because individuals and couples are too irresponsible for their own sexual behavior. Now, I just want you to think about this for a moment. As a country, we're just going to give this stuff out free. And I, I'm not really going to ask you to, to have any morality or ethics or any commitment to purity or whatever else. We just, we're just going to circumnavigate all of this. And you just, you know, we'll, we'll, take, we'll, we'll be responsible for you in this way. OK, now, listen, that's not even enough. So we provide free birth control to people because they don't have enough responsibility to take care of themselves. So when they still get through that level of provision, and someone winds up pregnant, well, then we make the provision. Then go out and get an abortion at another whole level. And I want to say, where in the world do adult people take any responsibility for their behavior in this area of life? How goofy and how silly for someone who is an adult, an adult male, an adult female who have to get themselves to that point and then take a life because they are so irresponsible. It's ridiculous. This is our culture. Anyone who perceives themselves disadvantaged, an outsider, um, or whatever else, they are claimed victim. And they're not responsible because because it's it's not their fault. There is a... <laughs> An extreme measure of this institutionalized blame and excuse—I I think this was this illustration was actually used a few months ago. It's just too good to pass up in terms of, of how this speaks to us. Um, but you know, everybody else, you know, our culture wants to blame everyone, and our culture, you know, wants—we want the culture to fix our problems. And so this was a matter that went to uh, a court case. And again, I think you've probably heard this, but I'm going to be redundant. It's about McDonald's hamburgers. And so uh, it took a judge in the United States federal court to figure out the answer to the question of who's responsible for my behavior. Two girls were overweight and claimed that McDonald's was responsible for their eating habits. The attorney for the plaintiffs argued that McDonald's food was physically and psychologically addictive. And from that perspective, the poor girls just did not have a chance. The golden arches reached out and grabbed them, pulled them in, and force-fed them multiple hamburgers. But common sense, as we shall argue, and the created order, in this case, actually prevailed. And part of the judge's opinion held that if consumers know or reasonably should know the potential ill health effects of eating at McDonald's. They cannot blame McDonald's if they nonetheless choose to satiate their appetite with surfeit of supersized McDonald's products. It, you know, it's like the girls are saying. You know, I drove by and McDonald's hypnotized me. It pulled me in. It made me eat the supersize fries and the supersized cheeseburger. And there's just little I can do about it. I mean, okay, we, we, we giggle at this because it is, it is absurd. But it is also the mentality of our culture. And to be perfectly honest, sometimes we share in other ways as well. Our failure here is as old as the Bible. Um, we go all the way back to the beginning. We, we, go, we go back to the Garden of Eden and, and the fall of man. And, you know, God gave these very express, simple answers. He said, there's a tree in the center of garden. It's the tree of life. And he says, do not eat. And by the way, there are a myriad of trees around this one that says that you can't take up. You know, sometimes parents want to give a reason for everything. And sometimes here's, here's a sufficient reason, because I said so. You know, God said, don't do it. Just don't do it. It's okay in your home. To say, "Don't do it. Don't touch it. Don't don't do this." You know that's a whole other sermon that I want to get bogged down on. But he just said, "Don't do it," and they did it. And so they immediately—this is the nature of sinful man. The very first thing they do is they excuse and they blame Eve. The devil made me do it. <laughs> Literally, it's where the phrase is born out of. It's the serpent did this to me. Adam, it's it, this is this is this is the ultimate offense. It's Eve's fault. And then, Lord, you gave me the woman. Right? I mean, that's, that, that, this is where all this started. It's not my fault. The gap of my life is not my problem. It's not my fault. Something else happened. So everyone else was responsible. And we play this blame game and this excuse game. If you have your Bible still open to 1 Samuel chapter 15, I think this is a great um, place to see this text or this principle in action. There's a story in the Old Testament when the children of Israel were coming across the, the desert, and the Amalekites fought against them. And they didn't just fight against them, they did so in a very ignoble and dishonoring way. They, they came to the older people and the children in the nation of Israel and they fought against them there. It was just, it was just complete wickedness and corruptness. And, and they, God wanted these people punished in the days of Saul. And he didn't want their influence having any more influence in the people of Israel. So he he told Saul he wanted them eliminated. He wanted them eradicated. He wanted the people, he wanted the culture gone. Matter of fact, he wanted the culture in this corrupt influence gone so bad, he said, I want them all gone. And I don't want you to take anything from them. No spoil, no images, no 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 clothing, nothing. I I I don't want the influence of these people upon you in any way. And so let's look at verse 6 of chapter 15. We'll read part of the story. And, and you know the story, but it's it's so helpful to read. And Saul said to the Kenites, Go depart, get you down from among the Malachites, lest I destroy you with them. So this is a group of people that you know that weren't amongst people. He wanted them to be removed. So verse 7 And Saul swote of the Amalekites from Havilah until the coming to Shur that's over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. So now we have a problem. And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. And that's only partially true. But Saul and the people spared Agag and um, the best of the sheep and of the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refused they they destroyed utterly. So, so they came up with their own standard. They came up with their own measuring stick. It wasn't God's, but they they came up with their own. Well, of course, then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me, and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried to the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a place, and has gone about, and has passed on, and has gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, um, Blessed be thou the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord, an untruth. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep of mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And of course, that has launched a thousand sermons in our circles. And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites for the people. <laughs> Wait a second. Who's in charge? Saul, who's leading the people? Saul. But they have brought them to the Malachites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen, the sacrifice of the Lord thy God. And the rest we've utterly destroyed. And Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said to him, Say on. And Samuel said, When well, thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee the king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey, and said, Go, and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore, then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and this evil on the side of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, Yet I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord has sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of the Amalekites." Well, he's, he's really confessing that he failed to do what he should have done. And have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took up the spoil of the sheep. So, a second time, Here's a man who was caught in a failure, but he wouldn't own it. He wouldn't admit it. He, this is where he was so unlike David. David did things equally egregious and worse. But when Nathan took his finger and pointed at David and said, Thou art the man, David said, I am the guy. And he changed his life. But Saul didn't have that humility in him. And so when Samuel says, I'm talking about you, he he would not own the responsibility for the failure. So twice, this man um, will not repent, and, and he's blaming the people of which he was in charge of. There's a similar story in the New Testament that Jesus tells about three men who received talents, and the Lord gave Instructions to each man, who, by the way, the the number of talents they received were different, but the responsibility to invest them and do something with them was the same. So take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 25. So we're going to see the same kind of blame game um, portrayed in the New Testament. And so in Matthew chapter 25, verse number 14, Jesus tells this parable about the importance of personal responsibility, taking ownership, doing what God says. So, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. This is the Lord in us. And to one he gave five talents, to the other two, and to another one, and to every man according to his several ability. and straightway he took his journey. Okay, so we know how this goes. The Lord gives each one a, a different amount. And so he comes back to take account. In verse 21, his Lord said to him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He also that received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest to me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And, and now here's we here we have the juxtaposition, a different attitude. Um, Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord. Now, now, he's not going to talk about him. He's going to start blaming. I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid. And I went and hid the talent in the earth, and, lo, thou hast that as thine. And his Lord answered and said unto him. Okay, stop for a second. Look up here this man offered an excuse, and he blamed. He would not take responsibility for where he was and where he should have been, where he was and where God wanted him to be. Now this is harsh, but this is the Lord's reply. It says, that's not the problem. Let me tell you what the problem is. Verse 26, His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked, And next word, please. He's too lazy to be personally responsible. He was unwilling to do what was required to get the job done. It's just too hard, too risky, and wouldn't do it. Thou wicked, slothful servant, thou knowest that I reap where I sow not, and gather where I have not straw. Thou oughtest therefore to have put the money to the exchanges. You should have found a way to make this work is what he's saying. And see, we don't like it when people talk to us like that. That, That's not a a legitimate reason for that failure. You're making excuses. You're blaming. How about this? I'm not being kind. You're just lazy. You're unwilling to do the hard work to make this work. You were unwilling to explore other options. You kept yourself too tightly in a box, and you didn't even consider there's other possibilities out there to get a way to get this job done. You simply dishonored me by failing to take ownership over a task that I have given to you. Now, this is a, these truths are rehearsed over and over in the Word of God. Um, sloth and fear are part of not taking responsibility. And so let me go back to McDonald's and Saul and Adam. The bottom line all too often is this. No matter the reasons or the blame that drive us to overeat, to be lazy, not make a change, be stuck in a situation, not move forward, not close the gap, whether it's because of stress, good advertising, a lack of education, a bad childhood, or a disadvantaged situation, the reality is this. If you eat too much or too many hamburgers, you're going to suffer the consequences. And it's just as simple as that. But my metabolism. But I, I was stress eating. Okay. It's not that people don't have empathy for these thoughts. But to be really fair and honest, that's not the problem. Blaming and excusing isn't the solution. And it's not my fault mentality it has no place in the people of God. It may, for a moment, blame, excuse, quote unquote reason, it may for the moment make you feel better. More likely than that, it's simply a diversion to help you not feel responsible for the situation that you're in. Most of all, you're simply keeping yourself from the hard work required to get to a different place. Okay, so not so universally received. But with that kind of mentality, you're always gonna be stuck. You're always gonna be stuck. That's unkind. It's a truth. And it's a truth about every single one of us. See, here's, here's a truth. All too often, we feel stuck in a prison and you very well may be. But here's the thing. You're probably the only person who has a key to it. You're probably the only person. If you're waiting for someone else to come set you free, you're gonna rot in there. If you're waiting for someone else to come make your life better, you're gonna be waiting a really long time. You might get lucky. Something may happen. It's, just, it's, it's not a Christian ethic. I was talking to someone and I'm just trying to give some real life examples here. I, I'm not being unkind, and, and the one I'm talking about is, is here currently. I was talking to someone who was single, and there's certainly no shame in that, and God calls and has that lifestyle for some people, but they were single. But in their heart, they, they didn't want to be. They wanted to be in a relationship and they wanted to be married. So I asked this question to them. I said, "So." What are you doing about that? And the reply um, was, "Well, there are no godly men out there." Okay. Well, I'm willing to concede that finding a godly man is a very difficult endeavor, and that that's probably, honestly, a rarity, um, and they're hard to find. So then I pressed. I said, "So." how are you looking for a godly man? And their reply was, I'm waiting for God to bring someone to me. And I said, what? W-U-T. That's the way I go, what? (laughs) And I said, are you waiting for someone to mow your grass when it needs to be cut? Are you waiting for someone to go buy your groceries when the cupboard's empty? you just wait for someone to come fix your car when it's broken? Like, what in the world? It sounds really spiritual. But the Bible tells me we reap what we sow. So how about, at least if you're going to be spiritual, let's move from that place to this one. I'm praying about it. That seems to be a better answer than I'm just waiting. I'm praying about it. And how about even this? Let me give you one answer better than those two. I'm praying about it, and I'm asking God to do what He can do, and I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to take some responsibility for it. And by the way, God may never have that for someone, but how would you possibly know if you own nothing and closing the gap yourself? So how about this? Go enlarge your world. You catch fish in the pond you're fishing from. So go enlarge your world. Um, go meet some people. And today, I think there's probably some safer ways to meet people online. It may not work. I know lots of people who are very happily married through that particular effort. But just to abandon hope is a very negligent response. It's negligent. We don't wait for things that need to be done. We ask for God's help, and then we, work, we go work with the power that worketh in us mightily, as the Apostle Paul says. And so we, we go do something. We cannot always control what happens to us, but there will always be a range of options we can choose in response to the things that happen to us. And, and our responsibility is to change within our efforts and the grace of God to change what we can change. And by the way, when you, tr- when you have different responses to what happens to you, you get different outcomes. And I'm just suggesting that excuses and blaming will always get you the same outcome. Nothing. Nothing. But a different choice might. Yeah, I, I get it. Life's not fair. And it's not. And you're not always going to get what you deserve, or at least what you think you deserve. But you will get some things, I promise you, that you don't deserve. But just a personal protest isn't going to change anything. Years ago, I trusted someone with an adult Bible class. Now, I, I've done this many times in 20 years, and, and, and not all adult Bible classes work out. Honestly, for, for no one's fault, they don't all work out. Chemistry, Timing, whatever else. But in this case, uh, a man was given a class of 40 and was able to grow it to 20. (laughs) So we talked about it. You know, we, we prayed about it, looking for answers and solutions. And so after, you know, some brief discussion, here's what he came up with. You gave me a bad classroom. You weren't as supportive as you could have been. I got a bad mix of people." Maybe all those were true, honestly. Or maybe, maybe you needed to grow as a teacher. Maybe you needed to invest more personal time in the effort. Maybe you need to spend time at their house. Maybe you need to write them notes and phone calls. Maybe you should have gone see them in the hospital. Maybe you should have been a better shepherd and a better pastor. And I just say this unkindly and being direct for the sake of the point. Maybe those things are true, but what are you going to do about that? And simply blaming me or others at the classroom or the lack of a climate control system or whatever, that's not a solution to the answer. How about study? Say something more relevant, make interpersonal connections. Or maybe it's, you know, this is okay. It's just not your calling. Let's do something else. But the, cho- the response they chose was to leave the church. Just destined to repeat the failure over and over. Because a fool always returns to his folly. A couple came to church for a while. They were here about a year. They decided to leave. They did show the rare courtesy of, before they exited the back doors, they, ca- they made an appointment with me. But they really made a, an appointment with me, not just to tell me why they were going to leave, but to register a complaint. And I would prefer to throw that over just be gone and nothing. And so I said to them, well, why are you leaving? And their reply was this, well, the church just isn't as friendly as we thought it would be. I said, man, I I hate to hear that. And I said, "You know, I'm I'm sure we could do better, and, and I'm sure we can. But you come to church late, and you leave during the invitation. Um, the Bible says, a man who would have friends must show himself. So just exactly when did you want people to be friendly to you? And here's the deal. If we're not friendly, what are you going to do about it? you going to gather your toys and leave? Or are you going to try to fix a problem? Why don't you be part of the solution? I say this to every new member's class we have. If that's your experience, I am so sorry to hear that. Come help us fix it. Proverbs 26, 11, a fool repeats his folly. And, and, and as far as I know, that's probably what that couple wound up doing. Folly is the uh, failure to simply take responsibility for what you're experiencing in life and doing it over and over and over. You know, if we're gonna grow, we've gotta get beyond this. We gotta get beyond, it. it's not my fault. You know, even when a reason and excuse maybe seems valid, because sometimes they might be, it doesn't mean that it traps you. Lots of people are limited. That just means they have to give a different response than maybe they once did. Um, you would say things like this. Well, I don't have the time to, um, I don't have the time to make friends. I don't have time to go to the gym. I don't have time to get more involved in the church. I don't mean to be, to be this cliche or unkind. Okay, so let's say that's legitimate. I look at your calendar, I see it. Yeah, it's pretty full. So my reply is still going to be the same. So what are you going to do about it? Are you going to forfeit the change that you know is necessary? Or are you going to fix the calendar? But that would take work. Yep. That might require sacrifice. Sure might. I might have to give up at 6 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. That's what people do who want to see a difference. But I'll tell you this, complaining and griping and doing nothing is a poor option. Well, I don't have the support I need. You know, my family's not encouraging me, whatever else. I, this is going to become redundant. Okay, so what are you going to do about that? Maybe go find some people who are. Find a group of people who identify with what, what, what you're trying to get done and get it done. I mean, we just, we, I go on and on with this. Well, my metabolism fights against me. I have limited income. I don't have friends. I don't have resources. Okay. you just going to stop there? Or, you, or what are you going to do? Can I, can I say that this mentality is so pervasive? Don't give in to it. We, we have a resource that can make us bigger and better than that. Don't say, I've tried everything. Because the truth is, you haven't. Like, no one's tried everything. Like, that's just not true. And your trying and my trying might be very different. You know, if trying means the first time I go outside and I get a split on my forehead and I'm out, that's not trying. And again, it's just, we I mean, need to be careful with these things that we say. They're, they're not true. We say, I can't. Well, can't never could, and it never will. And maybe you, maybe you need help, or maybe you need to do it a different way, or maybe you need to take a different path. I can't just shuts the doors on change, and God is bigger than that. I mean, you know, we, we can go find their illustrations of people who have been seriously disadvantaged doing things that you and I are afraid to try so people can, you can find a different way. Now I will say this, I learned this lesson. There's some things we can't do. I weighed 130 pounds in high school and I was never gonna be a college middle linebacker. I can't, like that would be true. But it doesn't mean I couldn't be a kicker. It doesn't mean I couldn't play another sport. It doesn't mean I had to give up on this stuff. It just means I have to choose and find the creativity and the grace, maybe, to go about something in a little bit different way. But you can't. That is so defeatist. You know, We need to learn to avoid this mentality in its passive language. Um, we say things like this. I was prevented from getting to the meeting on time by traffic. Or how about, I chose to chat on the phone too long before I got in the car. Well, the opportunity to bring up the problem didn't come up in the conversation. Or how about, I just felt too awkward, so I didn't say anything. You see the difference? One's blaming and one's owning it. He made me go see a horrible movie. Or how about, I gave him control over my choices. I was manipulated into buying that stock. (laughs) How about, I chose not to do the research myself and gave the power and responsibility to another person. I'm waiting on God to find the perfect job. Or how about, I don't want to spend the time sending out resumes, calling people, getting online. It's just all too much trouble. See, those are very, very different things. The truth is, we're never so locked in. We don't have another choice. Um, And if you feel that way, you might want to have someone from the outside come in and help you evaluate that and confirm that. You might want to start thinking outside the box, as Jesus suggested. Well, if you're afraid to invest that way, you should at least put it in the the bank so it could gain, gain interest. There is another way to honor the intent. So instead of excuse and blame, and it's not my fault, own the gap. Own the gap. Take responsibility for where you are. Ask God for help. Find a solution. And if none really exist, well, then you'll know. You'll honestly know. You'll, um, I'll close with this. Matthew 7, 8 gives us some instruction about the the quagmires and the, the difficulties of life. And it says this, when you're in that place, seek, ask, and knock. And if you seek, and you ask, and you knock, then a way is going to be provided for you. And that's still the truth. It's just easier to say, I can't get to the door. I'm not willing to put up the effort. I don't know what's required. But if you ask, and you seek, and you knock, then there's a biblical principle here. You're probably going to find an answer to your solution. But blaming others and making excuses is never going to close the gap, never going to get where you want to go, and it's not the proper way of Christian thinking. Let me ask you to stand.